This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name's Anthony. And I'm Jessica. And this week, um, we're going to go ahead and, and start our series, I guess. Yeah, we, we can go. call it a series. We can call it a series uh, of Disney movies that we feel are kind of being slept on. We're going to talk about the movie that we chose um, for this episode. And we're going to kind of just talk about you know, the importance of the movie or and why it was um, overlooked. And, and, uh, so ahead. the idea for this series came about because... As we were going through, doing our tours, literally cleaning out our closet. Cleaning out my closet. We were talking about the fact that because we have Disney+, Plus, we have access to all sorts of Disney materials. And there are some movies that we just feel we're not getting the love and attention, the TLC, that they deserve. Yeah, and while we're cleaning out our closet, we literally sat back and we started listing, like, it wasn't this long list, but we're like, okay, we could think of, I think we had four to five examples. Our first one that we thought of was Big Hero 6 because it got overshadowed by the thunderous, wonderful world that is Frozen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not much to say there. It got totally curb stomped by Frozen. And then we talked about the Black Cauldron, which most people... If they're looking at Disney princesses, they might misattribute. I don't know if that's a real word, but I'm going with it. Like, the Princess Anastasia, she, she is not a Disney princess. She's from Fox. But She's people, a real person. I know, I know. We'll talk about that later. It's a whole different podcast. But the characters from the Black Cauldron, like, they just get completely forgot about, even though they are part of the Disney canon. So that's another choice. And then... Um... We talked about we talked about the uh, Princess and the Fog, which is the episode we're talking about today, um, and because we both admitted, like, okay, we've seen this movie, mm-hmm. and we're like, it's a great movie, but we feel like it, I don't know, it just for some reason does not get the conversation that we feel like it deserves. As- um, as Anthony would say, people are just sleeping on this movie, so we decided to go back, give Princess and the Frog a little bit of love, rewatch it, and then kind of break it down for you. Talk about it a little bit. Now, we're not going to break down, like, minute by minute, because that's a long podcast, and, um, but we're just going to kind of give an overview and just talk about what we liked about the movie, right? So, yeah, let's just jump in. Okay. We're jumping into The Princess and the Frog, which is Disney's film about their first African-American princess. Princess Tiana, um, she does not start out as a princess. She starts out as this young child who's friends with this girl named Lottie. And of course, they're little girls. They're reading the story of the Frog Prince. Yes. And, um... From there, like, and they're being told the story by uh, Tiana's mom. Tiana's mom, and basically, like, you know, Tiana 
and her, her mom and her dad, uh, there's no siblings in the family that I know of. Um, it, you know, they live in New Orleans and, and I, I, what time frame was it? I think it was. Okay. So we know that in like some of the glimpses we see that when Tiana is little, Woodrow Wilson has won the election and then we jump forward in time. So she is probably 18 years old around there about, I would say it would be a safe bet to put this in, if not the twenties, maybe like the decade after I'd have to actually do some hardcore research to be like, this is the exact year that we can pinpoint when this happened. But yeah, so, but we know that big band jazz was very popular. They referenced artists like Louis Armstrong and Sidney Bechet. Yeah. Well, and that, that was my favorite thing about the movie was the jazz component. It was beautiful because like one jazz was huge in that time period, especially in new Orleans, like jazz is huge. So for them to be like, look, we're going to make a movie about this time period and about new Orleans. Like, We've got to bring jazz in, and it sounded awesome. It was great. It may it actually was like my favorite thing in the whole movie. Um, but anyway, that basically they're going through and talking about the story. Tiana's basically like the poor kid, and uh, Lonnie, Liani, Lottie, like Charlotte. Yeah, she she's like super rich, right? And, she, you know, her dad spoils the everything out of her. Just no matter what it is, she has it, she'll get it. And um, she believes she is a princess. And she be- truly, like, truly holds to the belief that one day she'll marry a prince and everything will be fine. You know, Tiara, on the other hand, she's like, hey, um, you've got to work for things in life. Like, she's taught at a very young age, you work for what you have. Um, so you see this like juxtaposition of, of two different cultures and, and, and ways of life. Um, and, and, yeah, and that's another thing I love about the movie is the simple fact that like the, the princess in the movie is actually like smart. She's, you know, strong willed, hardworking. Like she's a real person as opposed to just somebody who grew up rich, you know, and, but, I mean, let's face it, most of Disney princesses, like, they have character, but it's not well, 3D character. It's not fully developed. So, you know, so you have that. But again, with with this movie, she's got more of a character, and there's a, and there's a loving community behind her, you know. Um, so, basically, we flash forward to her being an adult. I would say she was about 18, 19, you know, she's in her early, you know, I would say latest and early, early 20s. And, um, Tiana's goal is she wants to be able to save up enough money to buy an old sugar mill to get, um, the property so that she can have her own restaurant called Tiana's Place. Because her father was an excellent cook, so he taught her how to cook, and this is just... It was their dream while he was still alive, and now this is her dream. Yeah. And basically, she's working, like, I think two jobs yeah. just to save money 
to pay you know to pay for this this the this up I'm gonna say apartment, but but to pay for this building and to eventually renovate it into her um her restaurant. And during the time that the majority of the story action takes place, it is Mardi Gras in New Orleans. For those of you who might not be aware, Mardi Gras is a celebration. It's also known as Fat Tuesday, and it takes place the day before Ash Wednesday, which for people who follow a liturgical calendar, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. So this is a time where they reflect on Jesus' life and his sacrifice, but Mardi Gras is a big party. You you eat a lot of food. You have parades. There's Isn't it like floats. Pancakes. Pancakes. Yes. Um, I don't know why pancakes, but I'm all for it. Let's go with the pancakes. So that is also a part of the setting. Is that because Prince Naveen is coming from Moldova? He's going to be attending the Mardi Gras ball, the Mardi Gras party at Charlotte's house. Yeah, and. Charlotte is 100% like, I'm going to marry this dude only because he's a prince. Like, they haven't even met and she's convinced I will marry him because I am supposed to marry a prince. Because all her fairy tale stories from child, childhood says that the princess marries a prince. Bottom line, no questions asked. So, you know, she very much believes that you know the whole wish upon a star and they they play on that because they do except tiana's like look you've got to put in the work mm-hmm. um and so this whole time she's cooked you know she's cooking she cooks for her community um and and, and she ends up kind of being the host not the hostess but the um caterer to to charlotte's party because she can cook, um, she becomes that caterer at the party. And we see a wide variety of cast of characters as the party unfolds, a little bit after the party. We have um, the voodoo practitioner, Dr. Facilier, who, um, who basically plays upon the fact that Prince Naveen is broke. He was cut off by his parents. And his valet feels powerless. So each person in this story has wishes or things or hopes that they want to see fulfilled. And every one of them has a different motive as to why they have this dream. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, the valet, he feels like... Um, in the song he, lyrics are he's been pushed around all of his life. Yeah, so he's been pushed around his entire life. He wants that taste of power... So that he's not the one being pushed around. Probably he will end up pushing someone else around. Uh, the prince, Naveen, he just wants money. He doesn't want to have to work. He, he wants to keep his lavish lifestyle. But his parents have cut him off. So he's just like, whatever I need to do to make sure I have the money, it's fine. Tiana, her dream is the restaurant. And she's like, I'll work for it. it just it, It's unfair because... The people who, I don't want to say own the, the, the building, mm-hmm. but like the realtors and, you know, they're basically saying, oh, we're going to go with somebody who can better afford it. And they kind of, they kind of, they have this one little phrase where they say, uh, they tell us someone of your, what they say, someone of your background. Yes, of your someone background. Someone of your background um, 
you wouldn't know, be able to handle the responsibilities. Won't be able to handle the responsibilities of this of restaurant. Kind of playing on the race thing, because they are two white guys. So they're kind of like, oh, you won't be able to handle this. And she's, she's frustrated because she had the money for the restaurant or for the, for the, for the uh, building. But they were saying, oh, somebody else outbid you at the last second. Even though she's been working with them one-on-one, like, it was hers the whole time. She just needed the money. Um, so there's that whole thing going on. Um, and what I liked about it is she doesn't get mad to the point of, like, revenge. She just goes, I'm going to prove that I can handle this. And that I have, that I have the resources for it. And I have the responsibility for it. Um, so you have a whole different... You have different motives from every, for everybody. Even the Shadow Man. Um, That's another name for Dr. Fossilier. Thank Fossilier. you. Even the Shadow, the Man, Shadow Man. Um, you the find out practitioner. The, the, you find out he has his own motives as to why he's performing all this, this voodoo, all this black magic. Um, so, you and I love that about this movie. Once again, you have motives and for everybody. And they're not all the same, so it's kind of this goulash of like real life in that regard. Um, I know we don't really want to blow the ending for you, so if you haven't watched it, then we're gonna kind of keep that under wraps, unless you feel like we should spoil it. Except, dude, it's been out for like what twelve years. I don't think it's that old. So came out in the early two thousands. Anyway, okay, um. Is there any more about the plot so, that we feel like we want to discuss? Because well, there's yeah, a lot of characters so basically, that we have not touched on yet. Basically, the plot is this. Uh, for a brief moment, at the party, um, when she loses the restaurant... She meaning Tiana. Yeah, when Tiana loses the restaurant, like, um, she gets upset and, like, you know, she's trying to compose herself or whatever. She sees a frog and she was reminded of, you know... The princess who kissed the frog and the frog turned into a prince and so she 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 kind of makes the joke of like oh i guess you want to kiss the frog who is prince naveen because the voodoo man changed him to a frog and replaced prince naveen with the valet mm-hmm. um whose name is lawrence by the way thank you i was like i'm trying to remember his name <laughs> but basically prince naveen was the frog he actually responds and said, yes, that would be nice. They have a quick little, hey, what the heck is going on? She actually does kiss him, and she turns into a frog. He remains a frog. And, you know, through a crazy set of events, they end up in, like, a swamp in the bayou of New Orleans and not anywhere near civilization. They have to work their way back mm-hmm. by a certain time so that she can get her restaurant so that he can marry the you know Charlotte and they learn they learn about each other they learn about themselves and in that regard it's a typical Disney movie right mm. they find themselves in peril and from that they find all the answers they need yeah so let's and they uh they meet up with a woman named Mama Odie she's awesome by the way she also deals with like voodoo and magic but she uses it to help people not to hurt people so and she's basically telling them that like hey 
you have to look inside of yourself to find out what you want and what you need. Because the reason they were going to the Shadow Man in the first place was because they just thought about what they wanted, not appreciating what they already had in front of them. Yeah. Um, and Naveen, what was his big lesson? Naveen's hey. big lesson is that he learns from Tiana is that he needs to be able to work hard for what he wants, not just expect his parents to always foot the bill. Yeah. And she... So, money isn't everything. Yeah, money isn't everything. He's um, also very flirtatious for a man who's supposedly going to propose to Charlotte. Well, and that and that's another thing. They, they, they don't hide the fact that he, um, in, in his life, you know, has mistreated women. They don't hide the fact that he's very flirtatious, that he doesn't really care about commitment say he's mistreated women I feel like he's not in a committed relationship because he just wants to go from women to women from that, that's that's what I meant but they don't hide the like they're not sugarcoating it and be like oh yeah he just never hasn't he doesn't date they they open up and say look he flirts with this girl at the same time flirting with this girl at the same time flirting with her over here. Like he talks about how he'd like to have a redhead on one arm, a brunette on the other, and then just you know some blondes. So again, yeah, a very adult concept for an animated film. But I like it because they do it in a way where it still feels tasteful. It's though. tasteful. It's it's something that honestly most kids aren't gonna comprehend what mm -hmm. the context until they're older. Um, and hopefully the parents who are watching it with the kids will explain, like, look, his behavior is, is, is immature. You know what I mean? Like, so, and that's what it is. It is very immature. He's just, he's, he wants to be the life of the party. He wants to just have a good time. He doesn't want responsibility. That's essentially what it means. So over the course of the film, obviously Prince Naveen and Tiana fall in love with each other and he gets to the point where he does feel ready to propose to her when they're on a steamboat, making their way from the bayou back to the city of New Orleans. Before we jump into that, you know, me mentioning, you know, that his was not wanting to um, be responsible, Tiana was kind of the opposite. She was too responsible. She never really took time to have fun or enjoy herself. She worked and then worked and worked more. Because her friends would ask her, hey, do you want to come out dancing with us? And she would always say, no, I have to work. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that's one of her lessons. Like, it's okay to break away for a moment and have fun. It doesn't mean you've set your goal to the side. It does mean, hey, I'm just going to take some time. I'm going to recoup. I'm going to have fun. And I'm going to keep heading toward my goal. Um, so, like, like Jessica was saying, like they, they're working their way back to... Um, New Orleans. New Orleans. I was thinking if they were going to a specific place, but they weren't. Um, that, that I remember. And basically what happens is because of the body swap and the, the valet looking like Prince Naveen... Um, they find out, or there's the confusion of Tiana sees Prince Naveen, the body double, getting married to Charlotte because in the middle of a Mardi Gras parade. While the real Prince Naveen in frog form and Tiana in frog form have been having this adventure, 
Lawrence, the valet, who looks like Prince Naveen, has been wooing Charlotte and proposing to her, and they're going to have a Mardi Gras wedding, hence why you see them getting married on the float. So Tiana feels heartbroken. Yeah, and, and the reason why um, they're, they're kind of rushing the wedding is because if they don't, again, by a certain time, he turns back into his original form, and the plan kind of falls apart. Um, so you have that, and then, again, so there's that confusion... And they kind of have to get, the, once again, get everything mm-hmm. back in order. So, yeah. Um, and along the way, again, because this is a Disney movie, love is a central theme. So we meet a lovely little firefly named Raymond, who says you Raymond. can call him Ray Ray. And he is in love with Evangeline, who is in fact not a lightning bug or a firefly, but she is a beautiful star in the night sky. Yeah, uh, that's that's one of like the most romantic parts of the movie, which is funny because he's like it's singing real, to a star. It's very odd to say, but like when you watch the film, just his devotion to her, because he says, "Oh, I meet with my girlfriend every night," you know. Yeah. And. You know, he, he ends up getting the rude awakening, but at the same time, it's it's very much like he does not lose hope in love, and it's an amazing thing. Um, and I mean, and again, if you know anything about Disney movies, you know how this ends, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be a happily ever after. Uh, Prince Naveen and Tiana get married. Mm-hmm. She gets her restaurant. The bad guy gets... Oh, we need to talk about we need to talk about the Shadow Man. Yeah. So what his, was the, his friends on the other side here? So again, I was talking about um, everyone having you know a motive and, and and what they want. He's evil, but he's he's evil, but he's not right. Like he owes debts mm-hmm. to who he calls my friends on the other side, which is basically like evil spirits. And the Shadow Man, his primary motive for helping Prince Naveen and Lawrence is that once Lawrence, who looks like Prince Naveen, marries Charlotte, then the Shadow Man wanted to use Voodoo to kill off her father and then... um, Take control of New Orleans... So it's a power thing. He wanted to be control in control of but, the whole city. But not only that, he wanted control of the city so that his friends on the other side have full range to, I, for lack of a better term, torment the, the people in the city. And his bargaining chip is this. Like, hey, if you help me out and I get this power, I will give you all these wayward souls. Yeah. So... That's his motive. Like, you think he's the ultimate bad guy, but at the same time, he seems to have debts with these spirits on the other side. And he's trying to, he's trying to like, weasel his way out by saying, if, when, when I succeed with this, you have all these people that you can have control over or whatever it is. Man, now I think about it, it's a dark movie. Um, yeah, there's a lot so, to unpack about this film. But again, we know how it ends because it's a Disney movie. The bad guy's not going to win. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and slide over into our thoughts and 
kind of the impact of the movie? So the first thing that we really honed in and focused on was like, oh my goodness, this has this movie has an amazing soundtrack. Absolutely, I actually might might find it on a um, stream. Like I might just find it and listen to it at work. That would be awesome. Anyway, um, but yeah, it has a great soundtrack. I loved it because um, I don't know a lot about New Orleans mm-hmm. in this time period. Which, uh, you know, like we said, is 40s, 50s, like in that time period. But based on what I've talked about or who I've talked to with people who kind of know. I don't think it's quite the 40s. Okay. Let's stick with 30s. I feel like that's a good. There we go. Because it's. So. Anyway, we'll look it up for you. Yeah, we'll figure that out. But. I could do that right now. Yeah. She's going to check that out. But what I'm saying is like. It seems very authentic to that time. It seems very much, um, you know, like I said, the jazz music, the culture, it all seems very authentic. It doesn't seem made up. It doesn't seem, um, it doesn't seem like it needs, you know, too much fabrication. So I like that about the movie. Um, But with that, there's a lot of like, different things you know what I mean all right okay she's back cool so I just hopped on Google really quickly typed in when is the princess and the frog set and they're like hey it's the mid 1920s so up top high five for me I win yeah I knew it I'm not gonna gloat too much we're moving on from that yeah so yeah anyway but yeah it seemed very very accurate um so I I thought that was kind of cool um what else? What are other thoughts? Uh, we really enjoyed the animation style, again, because there's a song where she's talking about um, how her, she's almost the there and, yeah. with her restaurant, and it switches to this, I don't even know how to describe it, like an art deco kind of a thing? Yeah, we'll go with that. And it, I mean, it just, it just looks cool. You know, it looks really good. Um... And again, there's the obvious, like, oh, it's a, it's a black princess, but that didn't I mean, that didn't have an impact on me solely because I grew up very, um, you know, people are people and you treat them like people. Like, if, if she is a princess, I don't care what she looks like, or, you know. Just, but I, I loved I, I loved the fact that even though she becomes a princess, like, it shows her roots of who she was and the hard work in her family. Um, and that was a good touch. Mm-hmm. Because, again, when you think Disney princess, you think... You know, kind of like Sleeping Beauty, who's always been a princess. Yeah, and you know, not Cinderella. She to uh, to bring it forward a little bit, The Little Mermaid always been a princess. Anna yeah. and Elsa always been princesses. And the to some to some degree, they're very um, even though the characters themselves often show themselves as smart and cunning and like, you know, um, capable of doing anything. Um, there's still that, like, wait, you're just a person with, you know, a silver spoon and, like, never really had to do anything for yourself. Tiana's the complete opposite. She's like, I'm a princess because my parents have raised me to be this way and I work hard for what I need. Um, but again, she learns a lot through through the story. But what what was some of the the backlash that we saw from this movie? 
as your face just distorts. <laughs> okay, so... Because I think this might be one of the reasons why it's kind of an overlooked film. I know that there are people that I have talked to who are like, personally, I do not feel comfortable with The Princess and the Frog because of how heavily it relies on the voodoo or black magic aspect of things. Like, they don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah. And, and well, and it's funny because most of the people who you've interacted with on that about this movie, very conservative Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm talking about very conservative. Like, and again, I, I know a few of the people you've talked to, but I don't like I don't know all of them, so I can't speak out on that. But watching the movie, I'm like, the voodoo is not the main source of the movie. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of it, but it's just. And it actually, honestly, I liked it because even with the voodoo, it shows what happens when you mess with, with mm-hmm. the, the darks, darker side of life. It's not like it glorifies it and makes it seem like, oh, if you do this, you get everything you want. The guys who messed with it never got what they wanted. They got swindled and hurt and, and you know. So, I don't understand that argument. But I feel like Anthony and I, um, even though we are Christians, we understand that magic is generally when it's in a story, like, that's what it is. It's in a story. Like, it's not real. Yeah. There are some people who believe that that kind of magic is real, but Mm -hmm. for us, that's not the case. In the con, yeah, And, and, and what I loved was... You know, and we and we brought up um, what was it, Mama? Mama Oti. Mama Oti. Okay, so I'm sorry, I'm bad with names, especially when they're as unique as that. So we have the Shadow Man, we have Mama Oti. So like, they both have uh, access to this same power, but she kind of uses her. Like I said, she uses hers to help people, whereas he's using it. It looks like he's helping people, but it's really for his gain. So there's that, right? Like, And I feel like hers is, okay, I might be looking... The Shadow Man is going to be looking exclusively into what your future could be. I'm just going to tell you what I've observed from like, hey, yeah. you've come to me with this request. Yeah, she's not really using dark magic as more of just, hey, getting to know you, you think you need this, but in reality, you don't see what you actually need which is ironic because she's blind um but i don't know and I, I just felt like that argument of like oh this has dark voodoo magic oh it does because there is tarot that dr facilier uses there is the friends on the other side so like he was saying the malevolent spirits um there's kind of like blood magic because there's this amulet that um Lawrence has to wear to look like Prince Naveen. Yeah. Um, so I got a little bit distracted. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely one of those things that like... So that's one area where, yes, I have heard that there's backlash towards this film. And the backlash that I heard um, was about the race. Right? It was about the, the fact of like, oh, that people... And I, and I don't fully understand this, so I, I could be speaking completely out of out of left field. But I guess people felt like uh, they were only making a black princess because 
just to have a black princess. It wasn't, um, it was just, oh, I guess to, uh, you know, I guess to accommodate Mm -hmm. or, you know, have a represent, whatever. But I look at it this way of like, I, I could understand the argument if it was a crappy story that it seems like they just threw together for the sake of having a, a, a black princess. Well, because we are seeing Disney move to be more inclusive. Again, with more recently, Elena of Avalor is Disney's first Latin American princess. Yeah. And again, and I think that's a good thing. So that way your fan base who are of different ethnicities, races, or however... They can look to a character and go, you know what, that that's awesome. You know what I mean, like, Just and they can like enjoy that in, in entertainment and feel connected with to, with the character. They're being represented on the big screen. And I, and I don't know why that was such a big deal because, like I said, it, I could understand it if it seemed like they were the the studio was only doing this um, to meet a quota, right? But it's such a good story that I'm like, I feel like they took their time with it and they just made sense for it. You know, this is a story we want to tell. It makes sense to put it here with this type of princess. It just makes sense. You know, I, so I don't understand that argument at all. Um, and it, it doesn't, from, from our observations, it does not take away from the film. It adds to it. You know, um, was there any other backlash that kind of hit this vibe? I mean, I know people said it was like a racist movie, which again, I don't understand that at all. But I think it's just people... I think those are the main issues that, that I can recall. And honestly, and this is just my opinion, but I think a lot of these issues are just people trying to take something great and just, you know, kind of destroy it because, well, why does Disney have to do it? Well, they don't, but they have the freedom to do whatever they want. Because we're we're really big Disney fans. We love Disney. So, again, we just wanted to kind of start off this series, take a look through the vaults of Disney, pick out these gems, these jewels, these diamonds in the rough, little Aladdin reference there, um, to see what films we feel like deserve a little bit more love. Well, so, so with that being said... We, we kind of talked about the backlash. What We've already talked about kind of what makes this a good movie, but, you know, let's add on to that. Let's, like, let's, end, let's move on to a better note. Well, know? I was talking with this about Anthony this morning, that I feel like the main thing that we as Christians can glean or learn from this film is to be contented with what we already have. Because... The characters in this film get themselves into a heap of trouble because they're trying to change their lives. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with changing your life. Um, but again, it's that motive as to why you want to change your life. There's the, um, the hard work aspect. and and But there's also like, hey, take a look at your life and realize it's not that bad. You know, learn about... I, I love the idea of learn what you need as opposed to what you want and i know there's a verse i don't have a scripture reference for it but it talks about how contentment with godliness brings great gain and then with the hard work aspect we know that the bible admonishes us to work hard as if you were working for the lord not for men yes um so yeah 
I don't know. To me, it was just one of those movies that I'm like, I didn't watch it when it first came out. Um, I watched it once it hit, you know, DVD. Um, and I think actually the first time I watched it was with my friend Herbert. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both were like, this is a great movie. And he was the one I asked. I go, dude, is this... Because he, he, stud- he studies music and jazz is, is something he's always kind of studied. And I go, does this movie accurately like depict you know the time period? He was like, based on what I know, yes. And that's why he didn't understand the criticism either. Uh, but honestly, I think most of the criticism was people just... Had, they have nothing better to do than go, oh, this isn't normally what Disney does. There must be, you know trying to reach some kind of quota or whatever and that's ridiculous and you'll actually be hearing from herbert we have a two-part episode from an interview that anthony was able to do with him yeah well honestly you know yeah we're definitely gonna get that put out there um so yeah it's 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 a very good interview uh, so we, maybe you could give herbert another call and you guys could talk about the music from the princess and the frog that's possible that's definitely possible um, but yeah, so I just feel like, yeah, is there anything else we need to add about this movie? It's a great movie. Go watch it. If you <laughs> haven't seen it, get Disney Plus, which I know most of you already have. Um, watch this because it's one of those movies that I feel like got, was, what came out that kind of stomped all over this? Was there anything? I, I don't think so. I can't think of anything. I can't think. But again, I think most of it was just because of the backlash, even though there shouldn't have been any backlash. Um, so, for our movie reviews, we're going to be looking into Big Hero 6 and The Black Cauldron, for a, sure. As of now, there's a fistful of movies. You know, we'll just sprinkle them in. It won't be like every episode is a Disney movie, but we'll sprinkle them in. And We're just trying to space things out. Give you a little bit of fun for your work week. Yeah. Or just your week week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's go ahead Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're jumping into Acts. I think it's what, Acts 20? I think it is Acts chapter 20. We're just moving right yeah. along here. Either way, we'll be right back, so hang on tight. Welcome back to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. This is the portion of the podcast where we go ahead and go through Scripture. We're currently going through Acts chapter... 20? Acts chapter 20. I knew I was going to forget but before we jump in, um, but yeah, before we jump in, we just want to remind you. I hope you're reading along with us, and I really hope that you um, really sink your teeth into the scripture because we are only doing an overview of the scripture. So when you dig in on your own, it actually allows you to learn a little more about what's going on. Uh, before we jump into twenty, would you mind giving us a recap of Acts nineteen? Okay, so for Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul is in Ephesus, and there's also a riot that takes place there. Um, the first thing that we see of that's noteworthy that happens is that Paul runs into a group of individuals who have been baptized by water. So they say they've received John's baptism, but he tells them about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he kind of goes and he explains the difference with that and... Um, during that time Paul prays for them he makes sure that they're baptized in the name of Jesus 
and they also do receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and there's also a lot of miracles that are um, performed as well. We see that not only Paul, but there's also other people who are, um, I want to say maybe like using the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not yeah. really sure if it's the best way to put it, but they're, they're going around and saying in the name of Jesus that they want people to be healed um, and have demons cast out of them. So that's another part of the chapter. <coughs> Pardon me. And the people who were doing that, um, like kind of in addition with that, there's also another group of people who they realize, okay, because of the city that we live in, there's a lot of people who practice sorcery. So these people who've been impacted by the word of the Lord and hearing the message of Jesus, who had previously been practicing sorcery, brought together their books and they burn them in public. So that specific reference is in verse 19, just because I was like, wow, that's not something you read every day. Um, and that kind of leads us into the second half of the chapter, the riot in Ephesus. So during that time in Ephesus, they had like their predominant goddess was this goddess named Artemis and they had this beautiful like temple that was there and the temple was a primary source of income for these silversmiths because they would make different relics and other things available for purchase. So this man, man named Demetrius comes and he says, okay, because Paul is saying that Artemis is not the true God, like Paul is saying that he worships the one true living God and that our deity Artemis who's a goddess does not fall under that description so like we feel like we're losing money um and he just gets the people all very like upset about it and then we see it's the um oh I always have trouble with with who it is it's like the councilman I don't know anyway they go and they're like, hey, we don't see that Paul's doing anything wrong, but if you feel the need to press charges against him, like, we're going to leave that up to you, but if you guys don't disassemble, I'm going to charge you for starting a riot. So, that's where we find ourselves entering into chapter 20, is the end of this uproar or this riot. So, what we're going to talk about for this uh, we're gonna again we're gonna give you kind of an overview of the chapter but we're only gonna focus on a few verses because these few verses were ones that we really felt like not only summed up the chapter um, but it really it really applies to what's going on in today's culture um, so before we jump into that let's look into the background of Acts chapter 20 so you said this is right after the riot mm -hmm. are they still in the same city Yes, he's still in Ephesus, but then he, um, they're kind of traveling through the province of Asia right now, and we know that eventually Paul is going to be saying goodbye to the people that he's been with in Ephesus, and he's going to make his way 
to Macedonia, and then also he wants to make his way to Greece. So we're kind of in this area, right? We're kind of in this spot where, like, he's in, uh, you said Ephesus, and then he, but he slow, he quickly kind of uh, meets up with everybody, kind of says his farewell, and moves to Macedonia. So let me go ahead. Uh, let me go ahead and take a look into that. So we have that, and it's kind of this idea of like. He was one of those kind of guys. He would kind of set up a church, make sure it's functioning, make sure it's every every aspect of it's working properly, and then he would move on because he felt like his calling was to build or, or plant churches, which is another word for starting a church. Well, and he did feel like it was important to have church leadership established before he left. So you, you see it. A handful of men that he has said okay the Holy Spirit is telling me that I feel comfortable leaving this church in your hands because you seem to really grasp the guidelines and there's the message of Jesus and I yeah. feel like it's gonna be in good hands but he also is gonna warn us in this chapter about that analogy of a wolf in sheep's clothing but we'll get to that a little bit well, and that's why, like, when you read the letters of Paul, um, which is most of the Old Testament, the New Testament, I'm sorry, most of the New Testament is these letters that he wrote to, like, the, the church in Corinth and, and um, uh, all, just all of those. I'm trying, like, really just blanked a lot of them. But he's, he, he sets up the church, and then he, um, he sets leadership who knows the gospel and then he goes on his way but what he kind of does is he checks back with them every so often with these letters um but we're not quite there yet so let's jump into acts chapter 20. it says starting with verse 20 you know i have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but i've taught you publicly and from house to house I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Pause. So we're going to continue from there, but I love what he started out with. He's saying, you know what, like what I'm giving you, there's the idea of it is I'm moving on, but what I'm giving you is uh, the gospel. And what I'm, allow what, I'm, what I'm leaving you with is this task to reach all kind of people. Um, and he kind of just continues to talk about it in that way. He's like, I'm being moved on by the Holy Spirit. So he's, he has the Holy Spirit speaking to him, saying, you've done your part here, now it's time to move on. But he's preparing the leaders in that time. Because we know that in chapter 21, we're going to see this um, next week, Paul's ultimate goal is to be in Jerusalem around the time of Pentecost. And mm -hmm. right now, it's just around the Passover, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So he has about 40 days to complete this journey. Yeah. And so it's kind of him planning that out, but I love um, where he's talking about, you know what, I don't find value in my own life. Um, my, my value is in 
spreading the word of Jesus and then talking about Jesus. Um, and you'll see that in a lot of his letters, right? Like you'll see that kind of verbiage or that kind of communication in a lot of his letters where he says, my life, you can abuse me, you can beat me, it's not important as long as I get that gospel out. Well, and he doesn't shy away from the fact that there are hardships and even time in jail or prison that is going to be awaiting him along this journey. Like he's well aware of the fact that because of the message of Jesus, he is going to be persecuted for that. Yeah, and, and, and so what, what does that mean for us? I guess, again, he talks about running the race and just having this perseverance, just knowing that when we do share our faith, that there are going to be people who are going to be hostile toward it. Yeah, there's going to be people against it. There's going to be people who criticize us, who may mock us. Um, or in, in his culture, they would physically beat him or attack him because of this uh, proclaiming his faith. But he said, I'm not going to let that deter me, basically. He said, I'm going to go ahead and um, I'm going to preach the gospel anyway. I'm going to show my life as, as lo of little value, but I'm going to give all value to Jesus. Because it's, I think it's interesting to note that it is the Jews that generally seem to be the ones that are rioting against the message of Jesus because in the Greco-Roman world, I mean, there's literally a pantheon of gods. So I feel like they they might be a little bit more accepting of like, okay, this this is your god, this person named Jesus. But the Jewish people, they're like, no, we're still waiting on the Messiah. So that's why they're just so up in arms about this. Yeah. Do you think it's that way in, in, in the Christian culture? Where you might see somebody trying to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and they... um. They, they, they find criticism or, or, or um, bad looks from the Christian community while the, uh, while the non-Christian community is a little more accepting? Oh, yeah. I definitely feel like I've encountered people who... The, there are some people that I know of who don't even believe that God exists, but they're some of the nicest people that I've ever met. And then conversely, I've met a lot of people who claim to be devout Christians but are just so mean and nasty to people sometimes yeah i mean we all we all know that stereotype right of you step foot into a church you may not go to church a lot so you don't really know how to dress you don't know the mannerisms and because you don't like you're automatically the black sheep in the room and nobody welcomes you like i know i felt that way and you just said you've met people who literally will mistreat you to your face but they proclaim to be Christian mm -hmm. and we're not putting anyone under the bus here um, but I hope if that's you like I hope you're hearing this and understanding that's not what Jesus did so that's all we're gonna say but and it kind of boggles my mind mm -hmm. because I, I grew up away from the church so I grew up in that community where you know honestly I, I grew up in the community where you do what you want to to have fun um, you do what you need to to provide for your family and sometimes that was legal or illegal and my family was always legal but like you know the, I, we knew people who were like yeah I did this and I did that just because I needed that little bit of money um, but anyway like but they're the nicest people but you step foot into a church and you don't have the right outfit on 
or you're, you're wearing a darker color and people just look at you like you're a goat with three heads and they just treat you awful um, but since I came from the outside coming in there were definitely times that I stepped foot into a church and I was like I don't belong here what, what, what do you think about that well and looking at how Jesus treated people, he was definitely, like, the people that he hung out with during his day were the social outcasts. But those were the people that he, he said, like, hey, a doctor doesn't come to reach, like, people who are healthy. The doctor or the physician is there for people who are sick. And he's basically like, that's why I'm here. I'm here for people who feel like they're broken in a world that is just breaking them down. Yeah. Um... So that's also that's something to think about that Paul saw this behavior in, in the Jewish you know church or the Jewish congregations and we see the same behavior in the Christian congregations. Well, and I feel like like Paul when he was Saul like he understood the Jewish fervor of being against the people of the way or what we think of as the early church or the very first Christians like because he was a part of that group that would actively persecute Christians he knew their motivations and where they were coming from so the fact that God took his life and changed it completely around that just shows you the transformative power of the message of Jesus Christ absolutely uh, let's go ahead and continue um, reading that those verses uh, there's a f one verse that I wanted to get to um, where did you leave off at? Okay, um, I stopped kind of in the middle of verse 24. Okay, go ahead. So I'll just start that verse again. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Um, do you want me to keep going? Yeah. Or? Okay. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. This is what I was talking about um, earlier with the like sheep and wolves clothing kind of a thing. We're going to get to mm -hmm. that starting at verse 28 here. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. So there's the sheep analogy, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now we're going to get to the shepherds. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them so be on your guard remember that for three years i never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears pause there so and i love that right i love what he's talking about where he says you know what be careful of who you trust if if, if they claim to be christian like you should see fruit in their life right you should see them ministering, helping people, being a caring and compassionate person. Because he says there's going to be people who lie. There's going to be people who cheat and who steal and who do these different things. Um, and he says even from among your numbers. So it's not just people from outside of the church coming in 
trying to get people led astray. And this is what I honestly believe is one of the things why people who are outside of the church, why they won't come in. Mm-hmm. Because they go, oh, all, all, you know, Christians are judgmental. All Christians are hypocrites. They say what they, what they say, what they think you should do, but they don't follow it themselves. They do the opposite. Or a lot of pastors are just trying to get your money. They don't really care about you as a person. I, I mean, I've heard many of these things. I believe a lot of people who don't know Jesus. Um, they look at the Christian because they see these examples. They, they're like, I don't trust them. Well, and the fact that you do want to be a pastor, that you do have this calling in your life to eventually be able to go into ministry, I feel like because you have that, that standard that people are going to be looking to you, you have this obligation to be accountable and to be transparent and to let people know like because they're going to be listening to you 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 don't want to be leading them astray yeah and but i also feel bad for those who have already been led astray by a pastor who did just want their money right who was kind of that televangelist who just hey give me a bunch of money and blessings will come your way um and then they take the money and kind of run but like it breaks my heart to hear those stories because that's not a good representation of God. We are here, like I'm talking about this podcast. We are here to be to bring a a not a new perspective, but to show you who Jesus actually was. Not necessarily to have you look at us, but to show you who Jesus actually was, so that you would follow that example and not us as an example. Um, now. Well, I think it was also Paul who said, like, I die to myself. Like, I have to decrease so that Christ will be increased. Yeah, that was said by um, John the Baptist, but it was also reiterated by Paul mm-hmm. on many occasions. So he was definitely like, look, I'm going to point you to Jesus. So, like, if you follow me and I'm following Jesus, you're essentially following Jesus. Well, and John the Baptist and Jesus, for those of you who might be a little bit new to the Bible, they are literally cousins. Yeah. Uh, John the Baptist was born first. Jesus was born a few months later. Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole time, John the Baptist, his job throughout his life was to point people to Jesus. He was the forerunner, so to speak. Um, Now, I don't know if we want to keep reading from this particular passage, but there is a passage in this chapter um oh there it is there it is um verse 35 and 30 yeah just 35 would you mind reading that we like i said we're gonna skip around a little bit but the section that we're reading the 20s to the 30s it's a great section i think you should go ahead and read it um but yeah go ahead and jump into 35 um so acts chapter 20 verse 35 in everything i did i showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I have, again, like I read from a children's Bible, and it has this little inset called Words to Treasure, and there's a little treasure chest, and it just highlights that 
it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I feel like this is a message that we hear even in, out in the secular world around Christmas time, because that's when you're thinking about giving gifts. Um, and in the church world, there's there's a moment throughout the year where we have like stewardship campaigns, which is where they want us to be a little bit more generous to give to the church to help them make it through their fiscal year. Yeah. Now, the reason why I wanted to point this verse out was, first of all, I love that he says, you know, in all things I have shown you, like hard work um, is, a, you know, is something we need to do, but we also need to help the weak. Mm-hmm. And in this time, like this time of year, um, like we need with whatever's going on, we need to be able to help those who are hurting. Right. Um, you know, whether it's just helping somebody um, in the grocery store, maybe it's picking up groceries for a neighbor, for a friend. Um, because they can't get out or unable to sometimes it's just praying for people like I've been praying for people simply because I'm like hey I can't I can't physically help you but I can I could support you in prayer well and looking to the earlier part of this podcast how we talked about the princess and the frog we see that Tiana got where she was um, during the course of the film because of her hard work and working two jobs and just saving up to get her restaurant so hard work like it is going to pay off but paul's point here is yes we need to work hard but also to be mindful of those who might be more vulnerable or as he puts it more weak in our communities what i also liked about the princess and the frog was like yes she worked for her for everything she had but she didn't hold it over people's head she she earned a lot i mean by the end of the movie she's a princess but I feel like she had a compassionate heart. When she saw someone in need, she helped them. You could see it in her family as well, right? They were compassionate people. They were loving people. Um, there was the scene when she was cooking. I mean, she's a child, but she's cooking gumbo. And uh, she gave. She made some for the whole community. Because her father opened up their back porch, and you see people from the neighboring areas just all congregating there each sharing a bowl of what she'd made and you kind of and they don't say this but you get that sense of oh this is a regular thing where the this family regularly opens their door to their neighbors who don't have much and they just hey we don't have much either but come on in here's what we do have help yourself you are family and i think that's what paul is kind of getting us to do he says You know, that Jesus himself said it's better to give than to receive. Well, and we know that Jesus during his ministry did have to rely on the charity of others because he he had left his particular trade as being a carpenter to preach and travel and minister for three years. Absolutely. And, And he never had like, it wasn't a paid position, right? But again, and I feel like Jesus, people gave to him he didn't hoard it he literally would eat what he needed and he would bless other people well and you see that even in the old testament when god was providing the manna for the children of israel he would allow them to only gather what they needed for that one day yeah and then before the sabbath you would have two days but that was because they didn't work on the sabbath but anyway yeah so i mean for me this is just a great tie-in it's a great reminder of like look 
It doesn't need to be the holidays for you to show compassion. It doesn't need to be the holidays for you to show support or love to a neighbor, to a friend, um, to a family member, somebody who's struggling. That doesn't mean you have to give up your last penny, if you know. But at the same time, like being compassionate for the people around us, I think it's very, it's needed in our community. It's needed in the time that we live in because, I mean, you and I both know people who are like, this is my money, I worked hard for it, I'm not giving it up. Yes, we've definitely encountered people, and again, these people are normally people who might be monetarily a little bit more rich, but they're just really holding on tight to those resources. But then on the flip side, we know people who really don't have that much to give, who are always like, hey, let me cook you a meal, or like, how are you doing, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's big right now. And it sh- I hope after all this, all this um, coronavirus stuff, it's able to continue. And people just go, you know what? I'm going to continue to help my neighbor to the best of my ability. Because um, so that's really what it comes down to is the choice of the individual. It is. Like, I am not here to pressure anybody into any kind of behavior if you're looking at your wallet and you're like, I would, but I'm one of those who lost their job. I can't afford to give my na-. like. I understand. I'm I'm not. I'm not like pressuring you. I'm not trying to twist your arm. I just think that's something that we need right now. We need that kind of hope. Um, was there anything else in this chapter that we needed to discuss? I feel like we really hit on on the main parts of it. I would agree. Um, Because again, like Anthony was saying earlier in this this portion of the podcast, we're not, we don't want to be, um, I don't, I don't know how to say it, I'm sorry, we'll edit that part out too. Um, Like Anthony was saying earlier, this is really just a supplement to your own Bible reading. So that's why we're only going to highlight a few bits and pieces from each chapter. Yeah. And also, like, the main portion of our podcast, really what's on our hearts, is to be able to take Scripture and make it accessible to those of us who live, you know, in the 21st century. Like, what can we glean from the Bible today? Mm-hmm. What lessons can we take and apply to our lives? And... I, I, I'm, I'm very curious. How many of you guys have, have turned away from, from church, from faith, from religion, whatever you want to call it, because of those who are, who are involved in that religion? And I'm not even just talking about Christians, right? It could be any faith at all. But you look at those who are, you know, who are in authority, miss, maybe misusing that authority, and you're like, no, this is not for me. Because I feel like that's a huge example, and that's what, and I mean, and we see that even without, even away from religion, like, we see that in businesses, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, the business will say, oh, we want a standard of integrity, of honesty, of this, that, and the third, but the CEO is not, does not have integrity, he's not honest, he's not, um, you know, I mean... I, I was a teacher for years, and I saw it in teaching, unfortunately. Not all the time. I will not throw every teacher under the bus, but I saw it in principals. I saw it in teachers. I saw it all over the place. Um, and it was difficult for me to, to deal with. 
but because in that way, like you do have to have a discernment of like, okay, is this really a company that I want to continue investing my time and ha- like having a relationship with them? Yeah, it's it's really one of those where we just you you've got like you said you have to have that um, qu- question to yourself of is this worth my time? Um, now, as far as the giving, as far as being there for your neighbor, just you know we all we all need help. Everybody's gonna need some help at some point in time. Well, and giving, I feel like so many people when they hear that word, they automatically think of something that is of monetary value but our church teaches a lot about the fact that generosity isn't just your money but it's your time and your talents and even just being like hey i'm here to listen if you have something that you're going through so that's a way that you can be giving to your community as well and i can say this that's one of my favorite things about you (laughs) it's because yeah she's giggling now but that is one of my favorite things she she'll meet a friend she'll meet it'll be somebody new and they'll be like getting to know each other and Jessica will be like hey I've noticed that they need you know they might be lonely they might need some assistance or whatnot um, for example we met our neighbor and they, we we quickly realized was like hey sh- she doesn't really have anyone to hang out with during the day so you started hanging out with her or you started texting her just trying to make sure that she has someone to connect with when she's by herself because we found out again like she literally lives kind of around the corner from us in our current apartment complex um but we found out that like she has moved here from another state that's where her family is so she does feel lonely she's not working because of the coronavirus because her work is closed right now so she just she has a lot of time on her hands and she and I, like, we just struck up a texting relationship where, you know, like, I'll be like, hey, so, like, how's your morning going? Or, you know, she knows Anthony and I like to take an early morning walk now because it is heating quite a bit up where we live. So, like, I'll text her like, yeah, we are just home from our walk or whatever. And, you know, she, it's just, she's just, she always tells me, hey, you just made my day, like, 100% better. Even if yeah. it was, there was one day I literally was like, it's hot out. I brought her an ice-cold lemonade. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's something as simple as that. You don't need to, like, throw money at every problem. Sometimes you need to um, listen and, and understand what the issue is and just try to, try to support that person, try to be there for that person. Well, and I just completed a training for work, which is teaching us how to deal with when people come in and they're angry about something. And the key factors are this. The first thing that you do is you acknowledge the person's feelings, and then you go and you try and help the person with their problem. Yeah. And that could go for any emotion, whether it's anger, sadness, happiness. There's like a wide variety of different emotions that we uh, encounter. Although I, I don't know too many people who are happy and need a solution. And then have a problem. Right? I'm so happy. <laughs> How can I fix this? Like, that doesn't happen. But yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and, and, and you can attest to this because I know that when you're helping people, you feel better. I do. I'm and mentally, I, and, I'm in a better And place. I think it's because God and the Holy Spirit are just pouring into you going, you know what, I'm going to bless you because you're blessing them. 
Well, and honestly, I feel like that is my gift from the Holy Spirit is having that gift of encouragement because so many people will come to me and be like, hey, I don't mean to complain or vent, but like, here's what's going on in my life just because they know that I and, am a good listener. And what you and I have started doing when people come to her and they complain, sometimes you take that pain on. Mm-hmm. So what we started doing is we started praying for that person instead of it letting bearing down on you mm-hmm. we pray for that person so it could be uh one of your many of your friends co-workers people we like we've had people we barely met going look here's my life because i'm a very empathetic person so. yes I'm, a, I'm i'm more outgoing so they get to know me and then they meet her and they're like hey lady i can talk to you about this issue that i'm having and we're like yeah cool and then she tells me and we pray about it and we just we just try to help when we can. Because I always tell people, like, hey, you know, I'm just doing this because I feel like that's what friends do. And then after we've we've developed a rapport with each other, I always let them know, like, hey, we'll be praying for you. And most people have a very positive response to that. Like, they're very thankful that we're praying for them and what they're going through. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of our focus for this week. Um and like Jessica said, we did go over. Um, and for next week, we are going to see in chapter 21, Paul is headed on his way to Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned. Um, yes. But like I was saying, we did go over um, the movie Princess and the Frog. I almost forgot the title. <laughs> and we, we, we forgot to ask in the first segment, um, but we wanted you guys to hit us up. And let us know, what are some Disney movies that you feel have been slept on or, or were kind of Just in need of some TLC. Yeah. Or if, you, if you're like, hey, I have a favorite Disney movie, but it's not like everyone's favorite. But it's my favorite. It's Tell us the, why it's, it's your favorite. It's not The Little Mermaid. It's not Aladdin. It's not those that are like the classics. It's one of those like more obscure kind of out there movies. But it's, yeah. Because that's what we've, we're going to start reviewing those movies. So, yeah. Let us know what those movies are. Is there anything else we need to plug, jump into, talk about? Um, I feel like just thank you. I always want to thank our listeners for continuing to listen. Um, because we have a whole bunch of different series that we're rolling out right now. Whether it's interviews with people who are our close friends. Um, being on other people's podcasts through the podcast community that Anthony is a part of. We have our hip hop and ballet series, and now this Disney movie series. So there's just always something new because we want our content to be fresh and creative for you. We don't want it to ever get stale. Or if you feel like, hey, I've kind of maybe heard this before. Um, yeah, we we don't want you to run because ah, uh, they down they made another episode about the Bible. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Bible, but. We always try to entertain. We always try to come up with new topics. So, yeah. We do want to thank you guys. It is fantastic that we were almost up to our 500 uh, listens. So, keep sharing. Keep throwing that out there. Um, anything else? Sorry, I completely just railroaded your sentence. Yeah, it's okay. That's fine. Um, no, I feel like we've really covered it. Again, I just always want to thank our listeners because... We're really out here doing this for you. Like, it's not just us wanting to hear ourselves talk because that's 
just not cool. It's like watching paint dry. It's no fun. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll wrap it up from there. So, Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this week and all of our listeners, everybody who's tuning in. We just pray for every single one of them, um, whether they are still working or they are currently not working, whether they're healthy, sick, going through emotional stress, whatever it may be. I just pray that you would be with them, that you would continue to bless them. And I pray that you would guide them as they learn to bless them, uh, bless others with those blessings you've given them. We pray for their week. We pray that you would keep them encouraged, keep them strong. And I would just pray, God, that you would just build that community around them so that when they are at their weakest, they can be supported as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and end it there. But have a great week. And um, God bless. That worked out perfectly. All right. <laughs> have a good one, you guys. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast, a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.